Thank you, brother. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in the, the book of Ecclesiastes. This will be our fourth sermon in our series in the Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 12 through 26 this morning. have a whole lot of material to cover. I normally don't try to bite off this many verses, but I uh, felt it was, it was good to kind of keep everything in context. Um, we're also going to be in 1 Peter and... Um, First Timothy. So if you kind of have those ready to go, I'll try to be slow enough to allow you to turn your pages. Um, I have the typically have the uh, sermon or the, the the verses behind on the screen, and that's only because I get distracted when I have a different version from someone from what someone's preaching, and so I'm hoping that that's a means for those that might get distracted because you have a different version you could follow along. Um, the problem is, is I tend to go a little fast to, for those that like to make notes and look it up in their own Bible. So um, be working for that. So we're in Ecclesiastes, and the title of this message is Legacy, the Problem of Death. And so we've gone through the first chapter and a half of Ecclesiastes thus far, and we saw Solomon already gave us his conclusion about the meaning and purpose of life. It's all vanity. It's like a vapor. It's all futility. And he is uh, arguing from this is right. Ecclesiastes is, is wisdom literature, and so he's he's writing in a means to to provide and to to give us wisdom. And so we read that right out of the gate. He tells us there's no meaning and purpose in the life under the sun, but he's doing it to argue in the, from the negative to demonstrate to us that meaning and purpose cannot be found under the sun. That we can't find true meaning and true purpose of our life and be confronted with the evil and the horrors of this world, the darkness of this world, and find meaning and purpose within that. And that is where he's trying to give us and demonstrate to us the wisdom that, that if you're trying to find meaning and purpose just from what you can do in and of this world, it's going to be vanity. It's going to be futility. The Hebrew word I was reading, uh, worrying, uh, um, um, who was it? <laughs> Wearsby, Warren Wearsby's his uh, his uh, um, his book on Ecclesiastes, and he said that his his college professor said that the Hebrew, the word the Hebrew word for for vanity for is a, is vapor, and he said it's kind of like it's kind of like what happens when you blow a soap, soap bubble and it pops, and whatever's left after the soap bubble pops, that is what he's talking about. That's the vanity, and it's kind of like trying to find meaning and purpose under the sun. It's like trying to grasp air. It just, it's, it's meaningless and purposeless outside of the bounds of God, and that's where um, Solomon's actually going to take us today. He's actually going to give us his first really, truly wise response on where and meaning and purpose in life can be found, and that's under the bounds and under the understanding of God that we've kind of been pointing to in our previous sermons. He's going to conclude that today as well but let's just review real quick why he gave us this argument this argument from the negative he's using wisdom thus far as irony he's he's saying he's saying wisdom like last or two weeks ago when i preached on finding pleasure he he sought out to to find meaning and purpose and seeking pleasure whatever this world had to offer he had the king he had everything at his disposal and he said that too was futility 
Um, and he, but he, he started off saying, I use my wisdom to do that. And we know that he also wrote, uh, had his hand in the book of Proverbs. And, and we saw that, that true wisdom is to avoid those things of the world. To avoid seeking pleasure in those. And so he, we, we know that seeking purpose and meaning through the pleasures of this life is actually folly. According to Proverbs, which Solomon wrote. So he employed the use of or the word wisdom ironically in that regard. But today he's actually going to use it um, as it truly is. The most wise thing that we can all do in our lives. And align ourselves and our meaning and purpose in this life with God. And his glory and his purposes and meaning. But let's just review. Perpetuity of life was the first thing. Uh, I tried to come up with all P's. And so perpetuity is kind of a difficult word. But a perpetualness of life, circular, right? He says everything's circular. The, the sun, the seasons happen, everything. And, and we just go on and we rise up and we grow old and then we die. And, and it's just over and over again. We, we, the, the world seems like it's on reset. And then so he set out to find um, per, uh, pleasure, the meaning and purpose through the pursuit of wisdom. He's actually pursuing wisdom in verses 12 through 18. And he says, that was meaningless as well. It didn't buy me anything as far as meaning and purpose. I can gain as much knowledge as I can from this world, but it doesn't provide me any meaning and purpose outside of the bounds of God. And then he, verse, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, how he set out to pursue meaning and purpose through pleasure. And he had everything at his disposal, and again, all was vanity. All was futile. It was like trying to grasp air, finding meaning and purpose in what this world has to offer. And then today, we're going to go over verses 12 through 26, where he, he, ulti- he provi- provides us with his fourth argument as to why he concluded there's futility and, and vanity and meaningless in, in the life under the sun. And that's ultimately because of the death, the problem of death. And we see that this is, again, foundationally going back to Genesis, the consequence of the fall. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat, partake of this fruit, you shall surely die. And this death is a, not just the physical death, the, death that, the physical death that we, you and I are all awaiting, right, is a consequence of the fall. But the true death that happened there was a separation, a spiritual separation between God and man. That because we are born, we, they, they sinned, they fell away, they were disobedient. And we were born in that through Adam and Eve. And because we were born through their lineage, we are born separated from our God. And foundationally, this is what Solomon's coming to the conclusion. He's like, look, we can labor, we can do all these things under the sun, we can acquire things. But death awaits us all. And so if we're trying to find meaning and purpose in this life, it's just, you might as well give up. It's just vanity. So let's go ahead and read this passage together, and then we'll try to delve a little bit further, deeper into it. The word of the Lord says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? He will do what he has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like, advance, like the advantage over, of the light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that the one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. 
Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise. And since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And, I, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. And so I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. And when there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it. This too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Verse 26. For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we just ask, God, that your spirit would, would lead and guide us and direct us into all truth this morning. Father, we, we honor you by honoring your word and what you've revealed to us, Lord. But we also at the same time acknowledge, Father, that without your your spirit's enlightening and um, illuminating of your of the text that you've given us, Father. It, it's, it will be meaningless this morning. And so we just ask, God, that you would work in our hearts, that you would allow each one of us, Father, to, to be reminded of your love, um, that you would pour out an extra measure of your grace this morning, and that we would uh, be conformed more into the image of Jesus, Lord, just a little bit more as we have... Open up your word and proclaim your truth this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're just going to delve a little into these passages of Scripture. And the, and the first point, what does wisdom really gain someone? So he, he again, the death is the great equalizer. The, the, leg, leg, <clears throat> the problem with legacy is <clears throat> we can acquire all these material things, but we can't take them with us into the afterlife, right? We can't have all of our things buried with us and expect those to be uh, with us uh, in, the, in the life to come. And, and so that's the, the, what is Solomon is wrestling with, that death is the great equalizer. And so he contrasts, compares and contrasts his wisdom, the wisdom that he had and the great wisdom that God had given him versus the man who was a fool. We good? Yes, thank you. Uh, he's pointing at a cup. I'm like, what? Thank you very much. <clears throat> All right. Thanks, Mike. 
Um, so he's comparing himself and his wisdom with that of a fool. And this is his conclusion. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. He goes on, he will do what has already been done. And I realize in verse 13 that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. And so he does acknowledge that because he has wisdom, he's, got, he's at a better advantage than someone who's ignorant and doesn't have that wisdom. And so we need to have a working definition of wisdom. Right? What is wisdom truly? What is truly, truly wisdom? I, I, this is my own definition. So if you have a better definition, please come and tell me. But this is, this is my definition of wisdom is, is we, have, um, we have knowledge that we glean from wherever. Right? And then we have experience in life. And, and the more we live and the more experience we have, the more knowledge we gain. And, and the more experience proves out the knowledge that we have. And sometimes we have to check our knowledge because wisdom, experience proves that it wasn't very, wisdom, you know, very wise at all. And so what it comes down to, what, what truly, what biblical wisdom is, what I believe biblical wisdom is, is a wisdom that this knowledge that we gather is a knowledge from God. The revelation given to us by God. That is what feeds the knowledge that we should have in our life. That, and then we prove that out and walk that out in our experiences in life. And that's why Solomon said in Proverbs, the beginning of, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Right? It has to start with God. But we see in our society today that there's this thing of knowledge that where people just gather knowledge and whatever knowledge they think is their truth is their truth and, and that's all they're, they're going to have their standard by. They get to define what truth is. They reject the truth, the absolute truth given to us by our Creator. And instead, they, they, the, the culture <laughs> increasingly seems to me uh, surrounds themselves and, and begins to repeat back and forth that there is no God and they get to decide their truth. And as long as enough people are saying that, then it must be true. And that's their truth. And that's the truth that feeds into their knowledge that lives out their life. And what, unfortunately, I believe that we see the consequences in our society being played out today is because of that, because they've abandoned God and they're the, the true source of all wisdom and knowledge, His revelation. We see a, a culture that is like Solomon's argument here. Everything is vanity, right? The atheist says there is no meaning and purpose to life. We're just an accident. There's no purpose for for you to be born or for our children to be born, it's, it, was just, it just happened. And so there, there's no greater meaning. And so this society concludes that there is no meaning and purpose. And then we wonder why uh, shootings are on the rise and school shootings are on the rise and teenage suicides are on the rise, suicides in general on the rise, why there's so many antidepressants, uh, the, the usage of those are being uh, just gone, skyrocketing through as we live and dwell in a culture that denies true wisdom, the truth given to us by our God. And so even though this book was written 10th century B.C., it's so good for us today to see, to follow Solomon's argument through and, and be reminded that life does not make sense outside of the bounds and purposes of God. And so he's saying here, look, I have wisdom. But he, remember, he's keeping his argument within the, under the bounds of, of, the, uh, of the, under the sun. He's not bringing, he has not mentioned God one time up to this point. 
And so he's trying to show us and demonstrate to us, look, if you're finding meaning and purpose in this world, it's going to end up to be vanity. But he realizes, acknowledges that wisdom is better because he has light. Right? He goes on in verse 14, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So he says, yes, I have wisdom, so I have eyes in my head. I walk around wise, and I, my experience has proven out these things. The fool is ignorant in those things, and he's like a blind man stumbling around in the darkness. It's a very vivid picture for us. But his conclusion is this, yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? What did all my wisdom garner me? The same thing that's going to happen to me is going to happen to the fool. I said to myself that this is also futile. Why? Verse 16, for just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise. I I mentioned a a few weeks ago that as I walked my dad through his last days on earth, his, his biggest fear was to be forgotten about. That he would just be forgotten and Solomon brings us to our our forefront. There's coming a day when we will be forgotten about as long as the Lord tarries. This thing of legacy. How can we pass on a true legacy to those that we love, to those that we are leaving behind if we're just going to be forgotten about? Just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? In the end, the wise person and the fool person all die. The problem of death. The consequence of the fall. The wise person, the fool, the rich person, the poor person, the American, the South African, we all have the same fate awaiting us, should the Lord tarry. And that's his biggest struggle. He's struggling with death. And no matter how wise or how rich or how poor we are, we all have that same consequence. We see that. Therefore, I hated life. So his conclusion here, we can see it like utter depression coming through. I hated life. I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile futile and a, per, and a pursuit of the wind. And I just needed to take a, a pause here and just remind ourselves, right, that, that God's progressive revelation, his progressive story of his re- rescue mission on earth, it, it didn't stop with Ecclesiastes. It didn't stop with the, the, the Torah, you know, the first five books of, of the Old Testament. He, he went on and he, he wrote, used Solomon, the Spirit used Solomon to write wisdom literature for us. And then, and then he gave us prophets and those, the words of the prophets are written down in the Old Testament. But, but God's re- revealed and progressive revelation didn't stop there. Those were all things pointing to the Messiah that would come. God's written revelation tells us of the story, the good news, the historical narrative, not a story, an historical narrative that Jesus did come. He fulfilled the Messiahship that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He came to seek and to save those who are lost through the gospel by him going to the cross and dying for us on our account, taking the judgment of our sin and the wrath that was our due upon himself so that we might be made righteousness of him. 
in the eyes of God. Jesus took the penalty for us. That's what's revealed in God's revelation. It doesn't stop in Ecclesiastes. He goes on to reveal that he's on a rescue mission in Jesus Christ. He who came from above, came down and put on, took on a body for us to be the sacrifice, to be our kinsman redeemer for us. It even goes on in Revelation. We, all, we know the end of the story. God wins. Jesus will rule and reign. He is the Alpha and the Omega. We know we are on. If you're in Jesus this morning, you are on the winning side. So grateful for God's revelation. We don't have to guess and wonder what's going on in this world. We, we, it's hard not to. But we live in the life of faith. Not fatalism, like Solomon seems to project in the first few chapters here. And so this is Colossians 2. I mentioned um, a few weeks ago that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that that Jesus was, it's the, the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but Jesus is the wisdom of God and knowledge of God. And he says here in Colossians, in him, in Christ Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, this wisdom that we have is the wisdom, the truth that feeds the knowledge that we have in our hearts as we cling to God and walk with Jesus in this life that proves our that knowledge out in our experiences as we day by day seek to walk in Him and honor Him in our lives. He is the source of true wisdom and knowledge. And that's just a good reminder for us. My heart breaks for those who don't know Jesus, who surround themselves and in the, in, in try to find meaning and purpose in the things of man and the things of this world instead of what Jesus and God truly desire and have created them for. And so uh, he says wisdom, he tries to pursue wisdom, but same problem, death comes to both the wise and the fool. And he goes on and he says, this is the second point, what does laboring, what is working and toiling under the sun really gain someone? Right, So let's read what he says here in verse 18. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. He says, look, I labored, I toiled, and in the end I can't take it with me. When I go, when I die, it's, it's done. And I have to give it to someone who didn't earn it. And again, we're thinking of this thing of legacy, what we're going to pass on. And his, this is Solomon's struggle in verse 19. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool, this person that's going to come after him and take his, all the stuff that he's labored at under the sun to, to gain and to, to collect. He doesn't know if he, that person is going to be a wise or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I begin to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it. This, too, is futile and a great wrong. And so he's just being honest. He's like, look, I, I've labored for this stuff. Why, do, why does the next guy just get it plopped in their lap? Material possessions. I think all of us can testify and know of families who are a loving family, but as soon as someone passes on and they happen to have a little bit of money, what happens? Right? The family degenerates because it's about the money. 
that pierces the, the sinful nature of our heart, the, the, the desire to have something that we didn't earn just plopped in our laps. And many people work hard and will desire to leave a legacy of material possessions to their children or to their grandchildren. And that's good and well. That is a good thing. But it's not the best thing. It's not the best thing that we can leave to our children. He goes on in verse 22, For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful, even at night, his mind does not rest. Everyone knows, right? I, I found, figured out a long time ago that I had to be a 40-hour work, get my paycheck, and call it good kind of guy because I saw my dad own his own business, my two brothers own their own business, and they were married to it. They couldn't go to bed and not think about their business and the worries and the, the concerns that they had, right? And that's what he's pointing to. His mind does not, not rest, even at light. Because you're worried about keeping and gathering these material things that you're just going to be end up giving to someone else in the beginning. So again, legacy. What's the best thing that we can give our children? Money, material possessions. Those are those are good things. If you have them, that's that's a wonderful thing. But but as Christians, what what are we to give? What are we to pass on? Um, Tim Challies is a guy that I read often, and he has a blog called Consider Your Legacy. And he, in it, he quotes J.R. Miller. And this is what J.R. Miller says. If parents give money to the children, they may lose it. And some of life's vicissitudes, those are changes that, you know, like the stock market up and down, all around, roller coaster ride. They may lose it in that way. If they, if they bequeath to them a home of splendor, they may, not, they may be driven out of it. If they pass down to them as a heritage and honored name, they may, they may solely it, but if they fill their hearts with the holy influences and memories of a happy Christian home, no calamity, no great sorrow, no power of evil, no earthly loss can ever rob them of their sacred possessions. What a legacy to leave our children and our grandchildren. So in this article, he challenges us to pass on two different things. First, pass on the gospel. The gospel, the good news. The, the, the good news that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everyone, wise or fool or rich or poor or uh, Jew or Gentile, all fall short of God's glory. And that's why Jesus has come to give us salvation for all who would believe. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Man, that just speaks so much into my soul. That this is what my God has done for me. My Savior has done for you. He's given us this great hope, this living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not only did Jesus go to the cross, but three days later He rose from the grave. He triumphed over death, the consequence of the fall. He triumphed over it. 
And all those who are in him have, verse 4, into an inheritance. You want to give your children, your grandchildren, an inheritance that is immense? How about an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading for you, kept in heaven for you? And I'm not saying that uh, we can guarantee our children or our grandchildren salvation. But this is what we are to pass on to them. This is, the, this is what will matter for all of eternity. That we give them the gospel. And it's not just telling them about Jesus with a flannel graph and saying you must believe and say a prayer. It's, it's, having a, it's demonstrating the gospel, I believe, in your home every day. We have many opportunities as parents to, to challenge our kids in their, their misbehaviors and say, look... The easy, the lazy way out is to make them be, change their behavior and say, don't do that and this is the consequence. You better stop doing that or you won't have that, your, whatever, your phone or whatever, um, you know, for weeks. And, and so their behavior changes and we go back to, oh, okay, good. Now that's taken care of. When in reality, I've missed a gospel, an opportunity, a gospel opportunity to say, look, child, you're doing this. This is a consequence of the sin that's in your heart. And this is why Jesus has come. Because you're demonstrating out of the heart, right? Uh, defiles. What comes out of the mouth is, is a picture of our heart. And that's what defiles a man. Or Lee and I were just talking about that before service. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out. Because it's a picture of our heart. And instead of taking the easy way and just changing, trying to modify their behavior, saying, look, this, this, is, this is why Jesus came. This is what Jesus has paid for you on the cross. But, but he desires for you to, to grow from this and to, to realize that, that he's taken that penalty for you and, and to be appreciative of that and walk in the newness of life to no longer be held bondage to that sin. So many opportunities for us to not just give them the gospel uh, straight out of the Bible, but to live it out in front of them. I have many opportunities when I have to go apologize to them and say I yelled at you in anger and that's not what God desires. Fleshly anger. And so I've asked God for forgiveness and I know He's paid for it in Jesus but I need to ask for you for forgiveness as well and so that's another opportunity to play, to live the gospel out in the lives not only in the children if you don't have children in your grandchildren to be transparent to let them know that you need Jesus just as much as they do so important to the children of the church my children have lots of grandma and grandpas and I'm thankful for that in this church Paul writes, or this is just a demonstration of Paul saying, uh, or showing, demonstrating to Timothy why he has this gospel, why he's been saved. Um, he's, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy's kind of his spiritual child, his spiritual son. He would refer to Timothy often as. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy's kind of second-guessing himself. He's a young pastor in a really hard church. And he's, he's trying to encourage him. And he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. And firmly believed, you know that those who taught you, or you know those who taught you, which was his grandmother and his mother, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Right? So Timothy, or Paul's telling Timothy, look, you know, because from 
your, since infancy, your family has been giving you the scriptures that give you, make you wise to salvation. And this is the Old Testament, right? Emmaus Road, Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking after his resurrection, walking down Emmaus Road, and he opens up the word as they, as they realize it's Jesus, and he begins, Luke 24 says, from Moses, declaring all the things that were speaking of him, the Messiah, that he fulfilled those things. Just here, Timothy was taught because there, his grandmother and mother made it of utmost importance that he was given these things. They were passing on a spiritual legacy that will not burn up, that will continue on. I can't not read this verse without 16. All Scripture, right? God's revealed Word by, is, is inspired. God breathed by God is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Peter would say, we've been given all that we need for, for life and godliness. God has equipped us with the Spirit of God for those who are in Christ Jesus and His Word. He's given it to us as a means and a help to increase our knowledge in Him. So the first one is to give the gospel, to pass on the gospel. You want to pass on a legacy that remains, pass on the gospel. And then to model godliness is also very important. In the verses just before the ones in the 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, this is what Paul says to Timothy. But you have followed my teaching and conduct and purpose and faith, patience, love, and endurance. So Paul's reassuring Timothy, he's saying, you've followed me, you've modeled what I've what I've lived out in front of you. How important it is for us to live out what God is doing in and of our hearts in front of our children and our grandchildren and the children of this church. He's modeled it for Timothy and his conduct and his faith and his patience, all those things. And I like this in verse 11. Along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And yet the Lord rescued me from them all. He says, I modeled, he goes, I, I believe I modeled to you what a Christian character and what it means to be a godly person even when the hard times came. It's easy for me to model Christianity when everything's good, but it's when the hard times come, when I'm frustrated, when things aren't going my way, when it's so easy for me to slip back into my flesh. But we can... Come to the Lord and day by day be transformed into Jesus' image. And this progressive godliness is not something that happens overnight. I wish it were. But it's not. Just as God has progressively revealed His, his plan of salvation, he's, he's also revealed to His process of sanctification, making us more like Jesus, is a day-by-day thing. And let's face it, all of us have been saved out of very different backgrounds. Some of us have been saved from a Christian home. Others from drunk or being a drunkard or a drug addict or, or whatever. And so our, our walk and sanctification and, and pursuit of godliness is going to look drastically different. And we're not going to be in the same spot. And how, we never, ever compare ourselves to one another because we all know that. We're all different. God has us in different seasons. But it doesn't take away the importance of modeling godliness to our children. I don't think there's any better um, thing of adulation or 
someone, someone could say at my wedding that he, or my wedding, my funeral, my wedding, I already married, sorry. I'm, I'm, the word's not coming to me, so I'm, anyway. There's no better compliment. There's no greater compliment. I know that's a big word. I don't know why I didn't come up with it, but um, there's no greater compliment. <laughs> no greater compliment than someone saying he was a godly man at my funeral. Right? And my, my children would tell you I'm not perfect, but I hope my children would tell you that I'm different. I'm more, look a little more like Jesus than I did 10 years ago. And I pray if the Lord allows me another 10 years that I'll look even more like Jesus than I do now. Because I know I can't change myself. It's the Spirit working in me, transforming me from the inside out. But to be able to model what it looks like to be a Christian, even in the hard times, is so important. What a great legacy for us to pass on. So if you have money in a house to pass on, great. But Christian, don't neglect the most greatest inheritance. Pass on the gospel and model godliness for your children and your grandchildren. And then we come, we're wrapping up here, Solomon's first actually wise conclusion. Again, he's used wisdom many times up to this point, but it's, uh, he's used it ironically. I mean, he, he said wisdom, but he meant the exact opposite. He meant folly, like to pursue uh, meaning and purpose in finding uh, or in pleasure. That's, that's not wise, that's foolishness. But this is his first wise statement, his first truly wise statement. Um, Commentators would say this is his first joy statement, but I think it's his first wise statement. And he has four or five of them scattered throughout uh, Ecclesiastes. And these are the nuggets that we hold on to. He's truly showing us what it is to have meaning and purpose. And here it is, verse 24. There's nothing better for a person to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even from, that this is from God's hand. And so he's concluding there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work under the sun. These are the things that, the, that we can enjoy. And, and so what I'm saying this, this, this morning is that we should enjoy what God has given us. We should enjoy our lives. He's given us breath. He's given us food. He's providentially, uh, I certainly haven't missed a meal anytime soon or lately, right? He's, he's, he's an amazing God who provides for us, who's given us this creation that, right, the, the secret's kind of out of the bag with what we have in Idaho, but it's a beautiful creation that we get to enjoy and, and enjoy his handiwork. And we need to enjoy those. I said a couple weeks ago, we mentioned the, the passage in Ephesians, whatever we eat or drink, whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. And that's the difference between those who deny God and the Christian is that we enjoy the things God has given us, but the, the, it doesn't stop there. Having a nice steak doesn't stop at the steak. We don't just say that was a really good steak. We say, God, thank you for that steak. Because we are acknowledging he providentially allowed us to have that stake. We go out into the Teton National Forest. We enjoy God's creation. We don't just stop at the, oh, that's an amazing mountain. We say, God, you are an amazing artist. You've allowed these things to be. We look at the stars in the sky and we say, God, you're so amazing. As a Christian, we roll our adoration and praise to him. Why we enjoy the things he has given us. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. He's a good God. His common grace to all of humanity, the Christian acknowledges and recognizes and gives him the glory for it. He says, there is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. 
I've seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from Him? There it is. Life is meaningless and purpose. It's all vanity unless God is in your center aim. Unless you have relationship and a relationship and been adopted into His family through the gospel. Right? We all fall short. We all cannot earn our way to a holy God. But God has made a way through Jesus. And I still can't get over the fact that it has nothing to do with me. It's the reality, and I'm grateful it is. It has everything to do do with what Jesus did for us. He gives us eternal life as a gift. It's gracious, unmerited love He extends to us. He says, you couldn't do it, but I loved you so much, I sent my son to do it for you. And all that you must do, what's all that we must do, right? This is where the religious part of us come poking out and the legalistic part of what's the rules? What do we have to do? Where, where do we get baptized? Where do we get sign on for membership? No. You must re- believe and receive Jesus. You must trust in His accomplished work alone. Abandon hope in all things other than what Jesus has done. And the promise of Scripture, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's His promise. He who promises is faithful. And so I pray that if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that relationship with Him, I would suggest to you that if you want to find true meaning and purpose in what your life is all about and the life to come is all about, turn to Jesus today. Believe and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And meaning and purpose will be made evidently clear. And then finally in verse 26, this is my concluding thought. As Christians, we live by faith, not by fatalism, right? The first couple chapters of Ecclesiastes is like fatalism. It's, it's that repetitious thing. It just we, There's no meaning and purpose to life. We can't change anything about it. Whatever is going to happen is just left up to fate. And so we just we accept it and embrace it. And we just toil under the sun until we die. That's fatalism. But God has given us His truth that informs our knowledge. And through our experience, we've, we've seen that He is definitely a God who has not just spun His creation into existence and stepped back and watched it spin. He is a God who is engaged and providentially working and working out His rescue plan and through, through all the nations. And we, He's given us His book of promises that we, we, although we can't see Him with our eyes, we trust by faith because we know that He who promises is faithful because our experience has proved it out time and time again. Amen? God is faithful. We live by faith, not by fatalism. Verse 26 of Ecclesiastes, it says, For the person who is pleasing in the sight, in God's sight, and we know we can only be pleasing in the sight, not through our righteousness, but through Christ. He is given to us as we believe and receive Him. In the New Testament context, He gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, He gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who's pleasing in God's sight. And so He's saying, look, you want meaning and purpose? 
It's the one who fears God, who walks with God, who understands God's purpose and has believed and has been adopted into his family in the New Testament context. And ultimately, um, the one who does not is really left in this world to accumulate and to gather things. And <laughs> Solomon says, ultimately to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. Right? And we can see that played out. The children of Israel and Egypt, right? God moved so powerfully that the Egyptians just kind of gave them all their all their stuff to to leave with and anyway but we understand the point and he ends with this too is futile in the pursuit of the wind he says and he, obviously he's talking about the last half of that statement right the sinner the person who does not know God he, he says the sinner but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and accumulating it's just that's what you do outside of life with God and his purposes. So 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, this life of faith is what we cling to as Christians. Though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, right? You love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and a glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, that faith, that place in our faith and trust in him. What is the consequence of the goal of that faith the salvation of your soul there is true meaning and purpose that's not found under the sun this found in god so leaving the legacy let me read leave you with thomas boston he's a puritan he he said this about leaving the legacy let the heirs of the kingdom the kingdom of heaven be have themselves suitably right we're model we should much attempt to model out godliness and Reflect our goodness and holy God in, in this world. Let the heirs of the kingdom behave themselves suitably to their character and dignity. Live as having the faith and hope of this glorious kingdom. Let your conversation be in heaven. Let your souls delight in communion with God while you are on earth, since you look for your happiness and communion with Him in heaven. Let your speech and actions savor of heaven and in your manner of life look like the country to which you are going we're just pilgrims church we're pilgrims in this world just passing through may the spirit empower us and embolden us to proclaim the gospel and to model godliness to those around us for his glory's sake father we thank you we thank you for your word. We thank you for the salvation, such a great salvation, and the joy that brings us, Lord. That no matter what is going on in this world, you are in control. That evil and darkness will not prevail. And you've given us this time to proclaim the good news and to leave the legacy of the gospel, Father, to our children and grandchildren and to the children that we, we will leave behind, to those we will leave behind, whether young or old. Help us, God. Help us to be bold. Help us to to give the gospel, to pass on the gospel to the next generation. And Father, help us through the power of your Spirit to, to live a godly life, to reflect your goodness, your holiness, your love, your compassion to those around us, that they may see your light shining through us, that although we are a vessel filled with holes, Lord, that your light would shine through. I need to receive glory as 
others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and have the chance to find the true meaning and purpose of this world and your creation. That meaning and purpose is found in you and you alone. We're so grateful, God. And we thank you for all that you've given us in Jesus. And we say it in his name. Amen. Worship the Lord with us this morning. Thank you.